having a beautiful yard is what we want to talk about for a few minutes because it is what spiritual people do, <laughs> right? Uh, so to, main, to have a really beautiful yard, what do you need to do? There's a whole, a whole bunch of things. Uh, and this has everything to do with 2 John, so just come with me, okay? We're going to eventually get to 2 John. So if you're wondering, where is this guy going? He's meandering. I don't meander. I have a definite plan. So we want to talk about having a beautiful yard. So you could, you, I could spend the rest of the morning talking about how do you do that. And the reason why I, I, I like to talk about that is that's, that's my thing. Uh, I used to be a gardener, landscaper. Uh, it's, just, it's what I love in, in life. So if you get to heaven and you're a gardener, I'm good. Uh, but how do you have a good yard, a beautiful yard? Uh, what you have to do is uh, one of the things that you need to do, other than feeding it correctly and mowing at a certain height and blah, 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 uh, you have to main, maintain the perimeter of your yard. I don't know if you ever paid attention. Like if you're just a typical guy that mows and goes back inside and watches the game or something, you need to repent of that today. Just that's, <laughs> that is not God's will for your life. You need to mow and then put the mower away and then go back and analyze your turf. Just kind of walk around and look at it because... I don't know if you ever paid attention, but weeds, they start around the perimeter. Have you ever noticed this? Like crabgrass, it, it starts around the perimeter. And the next question is, why? Uh, well, because it comes from your neighbors. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Pay attention. Because it's like, man, it starts on the perimeter. And then if you don't do anything about it, guess what? It moves from the perimeter to the rest of your yard. And, and some of you might even be thinking, well, my whole yard is crabgrass. Yeah, well... That's in a spiritual situation you need to pray about. But uh, I don't want to talk about crabgrass today. Uh, it, it, is, it does mess up many a yard. I'm going to talk about my, well, I absolutely hate this stuff. It, it, it just wipes your yard out. But it looks green, and it looks like grass, but it's not grass. Uh, it's called poana. Poana. Here's a picture of it, just so you know. Next time you see it, this is from Satan. This right here. <laughs> okay. So it looks green. You're thinking, man, as long as it's green, I'm good. Nuh-uh. No. You don't want that in your yard. Now, this is a little tiny clump of it, but see those little seed pods? Do you see the seed pods? They're kind of the white things. So it's like if you mow your yard over that, guess what? Blade cuts the grass, picks up the weed seeds, and puts them in another part of your yard. See how this works? Now, poana is really bad because... Um, it germinates quickly. In fact, it's kind of like a joke. Like if you mow a strip and come back, it's already ready to germinate again. It just pops up. It's, it's amazing how fast this stuff grows. And it starts in the perimeter. Why? Because it comes from your neighbor's yard. So if you are a neighbor supplying your other neighbors with poana, repent today. That's totally, just don't do that. But if you're wondering, hey, why is that stuff starting on the edge of my yard? Well, that, that's how come. Now, this stuff is just like, it, it's, it's just like from the devil. Uh, I'm constantly battling with it because the thing is, once you have it, you have it. So it's just maintenance the rest of your life of owning that home. And if you ever give up the ghost and like, I can't do it anymore, it's going to take over your yard. So there's, you can see there's a lot of spiritual correlations to what I'm talking about already, and we just got into it. So if you want to deal with Poana, what do you, you got to do? Starts where? Typically on the perimeter uh, and, and works its way in if you don't do anything. So what do you do with it? Well, you can pull it out. And if you pull it out, you just planted all those wheat seeds. Do you do? I mean... You just planted them, but you can pull it out. A lot of people do. I do. Pull it out uh, and get rid of it. And if you don't address it right away, it becomes a clump and bigger clump and a bigger clump. You have a bigger hole in your yard. Uh, so you can pull it out uh, and you can put a pre-emergent down there to keep the weed seeds resident in the soil from germinating again next year. And you're like, I'm good. And I went out and bought some sod and put it over that and can fill in the hole. That, that's all great. Uh, but if you, if you don't do sod and you just try to overseed it, 
and you use a pre-emergent to keep the weed seed from germinating, your good seed won't germinate either. I mean, this is like, did you see the movie Alien? You know what I'm talking about? It's like that thing you can't kill. And even when they, they nick it and it starts bleeding, its blood is acid. That's like poana. So you can treat it with herbicides, knowing that those herbicides will not let the weed seed germinate, but then your good seed won't germinate. It's like I got to buy sod, but it's still going to germinate anyway. It's, it's unbelievable. And if you want to know what kind of uh, herbicides to use to keep it from germinating, all the Latin names are in my notes. You can read them tomorrow if you're really desperate. I'm desperate. There's a thing called benefin, almost like beneficial. It keeps the weed seed of poana from germinating. So you might want to buy some of that stuff. Um, but the thing is, after you study this particular weed, which I have, obviously, because that's what Christians do, you can use benefin to control the germination of that seed, but after one year cycle, that seed will figure out what benefin does, and it will morph. See why it's like alien? So then you're going to need a, a, another particular Bayer product, um, uh, a Bayer spectacle is what it's called, uh, to control the, the grass the next fall because it figured out what benefit was, so you got to come up with another herbicide. This is for the rest of your life to maintain a great yard. Can't, can't you see the spiritual correlation between this? Like a great yard and your life? Because like, where does, where does sin start? Well, kind of on the perimeter. And if you don't address it, what happens? It works its way in. This is, this is how it happens. And so if you want a great lawn, physical lawn, you have to do a lot of things to maintain it so that it's beautiful. Me personally, um, uh, I, I, I really care about that, but I, I care more about spiritual things. But I learned spiritual things by working in my yard. So today's not as nice as yesterday, but you can still head out there. It's in the 40s. The ground's not frozen yet. Enjoy it and just ask God to teach you spiritual stuff as you're gardening. And he will. Like weeds start on the perimeter. This is, how, this is what happens to churches. Did you know this? The weeds, the false teaching, the false worldviews, they start on the perimeter. It's like nobody's going to waltz in here, as I told you, and tell you with a big placard, hello, false teacher. Because everybody here is going to go, whoa, did you see that placard that guy was wearing? It's a total false teacher. They're not going to get far here, right? No, they're going to sneak in. And they're, they're going to lay low, and they're going to get involved in Bible studies, and they're going to say things here and there. They're like, hmm, I've never seen that in the Bible before. Um, and they're going to drop stuff here and there, and nobody challenges them. They're going to, all of a sudden, they're teaching a Sunday school class. And the next thing you know, they're on the elder council, etc. This is how they function. This is what happened to John's churches in Asia Minor, the seven lawns he maintained. The wheat started on the perimeter. They were just called Gnostics. Greek word gnosis means to have knowledge. They were articulate. They were intellectual. And they challenged Bible doctrine. Like they didn't believe in the deity of Christ. They didn't believe that Christ uh, was the true God-man. They didn't believe Jesus was the Christ that's prophesied. And so they, they infiltrated those churches. Weeds started on the perimeter. Nobody challenged them. So they took over the turf of those churches. And John steps in in 1 John and says, not on my watch is this going to happen. And so he steps in in 1 John to say, how do we repair these churches to get back to where God wants them to be? Uh, and then how do you maintain a, a, an intimate walk with Jesus, a healthy walk with Jesus that, that these false teachers have caused? you not to have that intimate walk with Jesus. And so when you switch from 1 John to 2 John, uh, John is going to talk about, from a lawn perspective, how do you protect the perimeter? I mean, this is a military concept. It's a lawn concept. It's a spiritual concept. How do you protect the perimeter of the church in question? Knowing that the devil is, he is crafty. He's always trying new things by which to subvert the church. Because by and large, the church is the last bastion of truth in our culture. Do you know this? We are the speed bump. 
that holds it all back, uh, the, the outright influx of evil. And so, of course, the devil wants to silence the church. So the question for our culture, for our church, is how do you protect the perimeter? That's what Second John is all about. Second John is going to ask this particular, uh, uh, address this particular motif. How do you protect the perimeter of the church from destructive deceivers? Because the devil's going to send them. It's not if, it's when. Uh, how do you do that? Because uh, he wants to infiltrate to uh, get churches fighting among themselves, to walk away from sound doctrine, buy into false doctrine, so they're not a problem, so he can advance his cause. Well, I would say with John, not on my watch. And John's like, not on my watch. So John writes a letter to a church in particular to talk to them about how to guard the perimeter. So what you would do for your physical lawn, you should do for your spiritual lawn. Well, like what? He's going to tell you four things you should do. Number one, be mindful of truth to protect the per perimeter of your church. Be mind this isn't just for pastors. This is for the church. Be mindful of truth. So he says here in verse one, this, is, this book is written to the, el the, it's the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who love the truth. He's writing as the elder because he's elderly. He's over 90, but he's also a spiritual elder of the church. The chosen lady uh, could be a real lady and her children. Uh, that's true, but it's probably not the case. John's Jewish, so he understands from a Jewish mindset uh, that Israel was constantly called by female titles in the Old Testament, like she's called the daughter of Judah, she's called the daughter of Jerusalem, etc. That's how they referred to Israel. So John and his Semitic thinking can easily take that over into this particular book to say, when I talk about a church, it's like a lady. And he calls her the chosen lady. So uh, electos is the word. Election is the, is the term. I'm not going to talk about election today because I'll never get to the other verses. So let's put it this way. Does the Bible teach election? Yeah. Does it teach free will? Yes. How do they, how do they work together? I don't know. We're moving on. So <laughs> I could give you all, all my thinking about that, but it's like I've ever heard some of the greatest minds in Christendom talk about this. It's a mystery. Uh, in in philosoph philosophical terms, it's called a, an antinomy. It's not possible to be understood by human minds, but they're both true at the same time. But anyway, back to our sermon. Uh, it could be a lady, but it's probably a, a church. And, and if you take the word electos, the word, and you make it a feminine version, electa, it could be uh, lady electa is her name. She's a lady, but I'm thinking it's probably a church that he's writing to. So listen, either way, it's either a lady and her children that are Christian, or it's a church. I think it's a church. So how does the church, or you could say the family, guard themselves in turbulent times when there's a lot of deception in the world? Four things. Number one, mind truth. Notice what he says, verse four, after his introductory words in verses one to three. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children, not all of them, but some of them, walking in what? Truth. Just as we have received the commandment to do from the Father. God wants us to walk in truth. He says, it, I, I'm so excited when I've heard that some of your children at your church, you know, your saints, your Christians, they're actually walking in truth. What truth? What truth? The Word of God. Yeah, yeah, that, that you actually hear it, listen to it, and you obey it. Uh, my job as a pastor is to train you to think biblically, train you to evaluate the world in which you live against the Scriptures, um, but I, I'm not here to make you a smarter sinner. It's not my job. I'm not here to make you a crafty, smarter saint. I'm here to teach you this is what the Word of God says. Here's how to think biblically and, uh, and use the Word of God as truth as a measure against your life and align your life with that truth. So I don't want you walking out here going, I feel smarter today because I understand what a participle is. 
or a definite article or et cetera. That might be important, but what I think is most important is you walk out of here and you say to yourself, I am going to obey what the scriptures taught. Uh, I got a, I got a um, when, I, when I was ordained uh, back in, I think, 87, my uh, dear mother uh, took this verse and hired a calligrapher to write it on a beautiful piece of parchment, then paid to have a custom frame made for me to commemorate my ordination as a young pastor at 27 years old. And so that's hanging in my office at home, a constant reminder that what made my, or what makes my mother's heart glad and my mom and dad, that they raised a son who loves Christ. That's it. I mean, if you're a parent right now, what greater thing can you say as you look at your children, however old they are, eight years old, 18, whatever, when you look at them, what greater thing can be said that they love Jesus? Nothing greater can be said. And, uh, and so I have that in my office as a testimony as to what I'm about. But, but for me, I look beyond my mom and my, my dad to my heavenly father because I want to live in such a way that I abide by his truth, that he sees my life and sees my life measured against his truth. I'm living it. I don't just know it. There's a difference between knowing truth and doing truth, but that the Heavenly Father looks at my life and says, well done. You've heard truth, and you, uh, you are giving it a great shot walking in truth. You have to stop and ask yourself, are you mindful of truth? I mean, do you live it? Do you abide by what the truth says? The Scripture is truth. Psalm 119, verse 160 says this about the Scriptures. Uh, the psalmist says, the sum of thy word is truth, not truths, truth. And every one of thy righteous ordinances is everlasting. Truth never changes. So what was true in the Old Testament about all subjects stated is uh, true in the New Testament because truth never changes. Two plus two is four. It never modified, right? Would you want to drive over a bridge by a guy who believed it could be modified? Not I. Um, truth. Uh, Jesus prayed about it in his high priestly prayer before he was uh, betrayed by Judas. Uh, here's what Jesus said in his prayer to the Father. Sanctify them, Christians. In what? The truth. What truth is he talking about? The Word of God. The Word of God. Do you believe that the Bible is the truth? I do. I can give you all stated reasons why I believe that. Uh, it is the truth uh, for all things, moral and spiritual. What is truth? Uh, Dr. Geisler, when I was uh, uh, taking a doctoral class from him in apologetics, uh, I started out as a young man taking classes from him in at Dallas Seminary in 1982, came back in my late 50s and worked on a doctorate with him. I actually told him when I first saw him, because I hadn't seen him since 82. 82 in like, you know, 2018. I said, Dr. Geiser, you have changed. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, and you haven't? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on, that was totally convicting. Uh, you never think you aged, right? So here's what he says about truth. Uh, he says, truth is discovered, it's not invented. It exists independent of anyone's knowledge of it. Number two, truth is transcultural. If, it's, if it, something is true, it's true for all people in all places at all times. Again, two plus two is four in Washington. Two plus two is four in New Delhi, etc. It's all cultures, it's true. Uh, truth is unchanging, even though our beliefs about truth change. Beliefs cannot change a fact, no matter how sincerely they're held. You can rant, rave, be emotional all about what you think is truth, but if it doesn't match facts, it doesn't correspond to facts, it defies facts, not true. Emotion doesn't make it true. Our culture thinks that's true. Um, truth is not affected by the attitude of the one professing it. You can have a bad attitude about what you think is true, doesn't make it true. Uh, and then all truths are absolute truth, by definition. And if you say there is no absolute truth, that's an absolute statement, therefore verifying truth is absolute. 
So when I was taking a class uh, in Bibliology when I was uh, 22 years old from Dr. Geisler in 1982, study of the Bible, how it came to be, how did we get our canon, all, you know, all that stuff. Um, I understood right away that he believed that this, this book is absolute truth. Uh, and he, he taught us why it was so. But uh, as from a metaphor, if you look at the Bible as, as it describes itself, uh, notice some of the metaphorical descriptions of the Bible. Jeremiah calls it fire. Boy, is it. You ever been burned by the truth of the Word of God that just challenged your whole theological system, your whole worldview? It's fire. Uh, it's gold. When you, when you find the gold of the Word of God, nothing like it. It's a hammer. Wow, is it not? Sometimes it smashes and destroys things that you held dear that had nothing to do with truth. It's honey, isn't it? I mean, I get up in the morning and I read every morning early. I get up like 5, 5.30 and I read. And you can ask my wife, I drive her crazy uh, in, the, in, in the family room on the first level. I have a nice, beautiful table with a whole bunch of books stacked on it. She's like, oh, you ever going to move those? Uh, probably not in your lifetime. Uh, you know, because I'm, I'm working my way through all of those. And I read a little, a little bit of each one of them in the morning. So there's a book I'm, I'm reading on how to understand Aristotle or another book on how to read Aquinas. Sometimes you have to read a book about how to understand somebody because you can't understand them when you read them. You know what I'm, you read a book like this? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I'm reading all kinds of different books, um, uh, but nothing, nothing is like my Bible because those are, those are not this. Th this is food for the soul. So the Bible is truth, and when I read it, boy, it, it, it's like honey. I mean, I, I, it, like I've been reading the Minor Prophets this week, like Habakkuk, Zephaniah. I have two degrees in the Old Testament. Do you think I've ever read Habakkuk and Zephaniah? Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, too. But every time I read it, it's like, man, man I forgot about that. I mean, that, that is so true. You know, when uh, Habakkuk complains that the Babylonians are going to be used by God to discipline his people, Habakkuk's gripe with God. You ever argued with God? His big argument with God is, Lord, how could you use the Babylonians to discipline your people? You know, God, you're off track on this one. God's like, no, I'm on track. And I'm reading that this week going, do I think my country's off track? Mm -hmm. But is it on track? Oh, yeah. Because God's sovereign and it's on track to go where he wants it to go. The king is coming. So I get excited. It's honey. It's light. It's, it's a whole bunch of things. Uh, here's some more things uh, that it is. Uh, the Bible is like milk. For who? New Christians. Like you don't, <laughs> I remember the first time I gave Amanda solid food when she was a little baby in her high chair and I put some salt, you know, I usually feeding her the mushy stuff and I gave her a piece of actual meat and I stuck it on a spoon in her mouth and it went in, she didn't, she, it's totally foreign to her mouth. And then pretty soon her little tongue came out and it dropped right on her little tray. She's like, that's meat. I don't know what that is. I want the other stuff. So when you're a new Christian, what do you need? Milk. What's that? That's the easy stuff. But sometimes the, the Bible is like meat. It's, it's like a steak, uh, but it feeds the soul. It's like a mirror. Is it not? When you read it, you look at it and you think, oh man, I, I see myself. I see myself. And then it's like a sword that cuts and divides and shows you yourself, your motivations, why you do what you do, say what you say. I mean, all the metaphors of the Bible. But what I'm going to get at is the, is the Bible as like a weed chart metaphor. You follow me? Let's go back to the poana. What's poana? It's from Satan. It's going to affect your yard on the perimeter. Same thing with spiritual false teaching. It's going to start on the perimeter, work its way in. How do I identify the spiritual weeds and false teaching? Well, I got to have a chart. I gotta have a chart to identify my weeds. I don't know how you do your yard, how I do my yard is I mow it, I go inside, I grab, like, well, I have like uh, six spray bottles um, of different chemicals that address different kinds of weeds. And so I, I go out, I look at my yard after I mowed, and I, oh, spotted spurge, oh, I need this. I go get, ask my neighbors. 
they probably think I'm crazy, but I go, I walk around, oh, sh, 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 sh. No, no, for that one, I need, I, I have two bottles in each hand, sh, sh, sh. and <laughs> this is a spiritual thing, is it not? Because if you're a dad of a family and you're the Christian man, shouldn't you, shouldn't you watch the perimeter of your family? What, from invasion of false ideas, false worldviews that will challenge your family? Shouldn't you do that with your church? Absolutely. Uh, and so think about the Bible as the ultimate chart for identification of weed. Not weed. Weeds. <laughs> <laughs> Try my job. Yeah. Everybody's going, whoa. Yeah, no, 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 no. I am from California, sorry. Um, <laughs> and I do know what weed looks like because my dad was a federal agent, so yes. Um, so anyway, back to my sermon. So um, show me a growing church, and I'll show you a church committed to truth. Show me a weak church, and I'll show you one that's not committed to truth. What's our culture believe? Truths, not truth, with a big T. Their truths are, hey, whatever's true to me is true. It's called the uh, coherence view of truth. If our group gets together and believes all these things, then by definition, what we emotionally believe is true is true. Whoa, it defies science. It defies logical reasoning. It defies, how could it be true? Because we firmly believe it's true. That's insanity. That's my culture. How do I reach my culture? Do I adapt to their view? Uh, no. Truth is true. It never changes. And, and so what do we do as a culture? We guard the perimeter of the church by holding on to truth. What is truth? That's the word of God. What happens when a culture disintegrates? Well, Isaiah tells you in chapter 59, verse 14. Notice what he says. He says, justice is before the Babylonians attacked uh, in 605. Justice is turned back in his country and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the street. And a brightness cannot enter. He then says, yes, truth is lacking. And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw. He always sees what's going on in a culture. And it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. See, how can there be justice if there's no truth at the top? If you embrace that which is false and call it true, you have injustice. And as he says here, anyone that tried to stand up for that which is righteous is made a prey. Well, translated, they will hunt you and silence you. You think that's something new? No, because they don't want you challenging their version of truth. They lost the entire nation. Why? Because they threw truth to the wind. So what should we be doing as a church? Committed to truth. Our church is committed to truth. Well, not all of them. There's a recent study by Legionnaire Ministries, 2022. Here's what it says. 65% of evangelicals believe everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. What Bible are you reading? Ephesians 2.3 says, we are all naturally born children of divine wrath. Why? We're born sinners. We're born sinners. So 56% of evangelicals believe God accepts the worships, worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Have they listened to Jesus? What did he say in John 14.6? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. And no one comes to the Father but by me. He's pretty narrow. If you, if you think... I'm narrow-minded, I will absolutely say yes. Why? Because truth is narrow. You don't want deviation when it comes to truth. Uh, when you look at what the, where the church is at today to try to fit in, they're acquiescing and waffling all kinds of truth. And to me, I would say, no, you need to stand firm because the king is coming. 26% of evangelicals believe the Bible, like all sacred writing, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it's not literally true. Wow. What does the Bible say? It says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. It's the Greek word, it's his breath. It's his breath. 
So the devil will always attempt the church uh, uh, to uh, walk away from truth. And, and I would say, along with John, what's the greatest thing? Well, to hear that your children, your church is walking in truth. It's the greatest thing. Uh, I told you about the lady that emailed me the, the other day. Did I tell you the story? After a couple sermons, you start forgetting what she said. Uh, so a lady emailed me, because I get a lot of these things during the week, uh, emailed me uh, and, and told me, you know, my w- husband and I, we don't, we're not there anymore. We were there for a couple of years. We've now moved out of the country. We're in another foreign country, you know, serving God, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, I, she said, I know you don't know me. And she was right. I didn't know her. I didn't, when she wrote her name, like, I don't know. Uh, and she said, I just want to let you know, I, we still watch the church services. We still hear the sermons. We still are tied into the church. It's impacting our lives for Christ. Just want to let you know. Makes my day makes my day that i don't to hear that you walk with christ that that's why that is it does it for me to hear that you walk with christ that's what john is saying how do you protect the church hold on to truth number two uh hold on to love be mindful of love 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 now he says uh, i ask you lady not as writing to you a new commandment but the one which we have from the beginning that we love one another and this is love that we walk according to his commandments so is love an emotion no no, it's following the commandments. What commandments? All the things that God has said. When you obey them, you're demonstrating I love God, and if I love God, I by definition will love my brother. He says, uh, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments, and this is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. What's the commandment? Well, according to Jesus in John 13, 34, and John 15, 12, the commandment that he laid down is that we love each other. What happens with a church that doesn't abide by sound doctrine, doesn't watch the perimeter of the church, allows false worldviews in? What happens? They fight among themselves. They don't love each other. And Jesus says, uh, no, I'm going to pray that you understand the importance of loving each other. You know, <laughs> the stronger your turf is in your yard, stronger your grass is, it's more difficult for weeds to grow there. Did you know this? The, the stronger that your turf is, weeds can't grow there because the turf's too tight. Think about a church. The more love there is between believers, I'm talking about agape love, divine love. The greater the love is between believers, the harder it is for the devil to get his hoof in the door. What do we need to be doing? Loving each other more. Not that we don't, but there's always room to love each other more. What does agape love look like? (laughs) Forgives wrongs. Do you think you can be in a church of 3,000 people and not be wronged by somebody? It's going to happen to you. What should you do? Forgive them and then hold grudges. <laughs> no, forgive them and don't hold grudges. Uh, gladly accept anybody and everybody in the body of Christ, no matter what they look like, what they talk like, how much they're worth, how much education they have or don't have. Because if they're a brother or sister in Christ, you're supposed to love them. Love them. Uh, if you love them, that means you'll sacrifice for them and do things for them that are off the grid. Why? It's a brother or sister in Christ. How do you guard the integrity of a church? Make it healthy and strong? Be mindful of truth. Be mindful of love. You have to stop and ask yourself, am I a loving Christian? I mean, am I really? And I will say to you, it starts in your house as a dad with your children. Do you really love them like Christ would love them? Do you love your wife as Christ would love your wife? Or is your house not that? It's a war zone. And what is it? It's, love starts there. Because if you, if you try to import your false love here, eventually people will see the leakage and somebody who loves you will come alongside to say, uh, can we go to coffee? Uh, I see some discrepancies because how you love here at church, I'm hearing is not how you love at home. They has to be one and the same. How do you guard a church? Uh, you have that kind of divine love for one another. Number three, 
be mindful of deceivers. He says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who are they? They are those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. That was a Gnostic. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. He said, uh, how, how do you guard the church? Uh, look at the perimeter of the church. And when you see somebody trying to infiltrate the church that's trying to deceive people, identify them. Identify what they're teaching as that which is contrary to truth. Uh, the word for uh, deception uh, in Greek is uh, planoi. Uh, and it means to misrepresent your identity. <laughs> this happens to me every week. It, it probably happens to you. I got two emails this week, or no, text messages. Hi, this is from PayPal. Just want to let you know your account has been compromised. In, <laughs> in order to reinstate your account, here, click on this number and give us your personal information. Oh, yeah, I'm falling for that one. And I'm thinking to myself, I closed my PayPal account. Why? They were going to start finding people for things that, you know what I mean? I read the news. I ain't supporting that. I closed my account. So I'm sitting here thinking, you're trying to tell me my account is compromised. I don't even have an account. I had another guy call me. Hi, this is, you know, like Dave from Microsoft. And I uh, want to let you know that your account has been compromised. And if you would please give us the following information, we, we can unfreeze your account and reestate your account, blah, blah, blah. My next question to him was, uh, how do I know you're from Microsoft? Well, uh, sir, because I am. Huh. Uh, no, I don't believe that. Uh, sir, you're kind of being obnoxious. Uh, no, I, no I, <laughs> I don't believe you're from Microsoft. Well, I, 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 my badge number is 674-327. I don't care. Anybody could give me any kind of badge number. He got so frustrated with me, he hung up. <laughs> I was raised in a law enforcement family. I don't believe everything I hear. Do you? You know, I mean, it's just got get real. Uh, so anyway, uh, misrepresenting yourself happens all the time. And so uh, when you look at this verse, he says, many of those kind of people have gone out into the world. In Matthew 13, Jesus gave us the parable of the good soil, the seed of the gospel being thrown into the world. And then he also follows up with the parable of the weeds. See, if you think I'm stuck on turf, talk to Jesus. <laughs> His first two parables were about planting seed and turf management. So the, the parable of the weeds is wherever the gospel weed is sown, the devil comes along and goes, oh, we need 10 weed seeds sown alongside that so they don't believe the gospel. Boy, that's the world in which we live, is it not? Are there deceivers in our world today? It's a softball question. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's hard to even know who's telling the truth anymore. Truth. So what does he say you should do since there's deceivers in the world? Verse 8. What's he tell you? Watch yourselves. Uh, that you, he tells you why. That, well, well, that you might not lose what you've accomplished. What does that mean? Well, but that you can receive a full reward. What are you talking about? Watch yourselves. So the Greek word uh, to watch yourself uh, is really, uh, you could translate into our vernacular, keep your eyes peeled. Got it? Keep your eyes peeled. For what? False teaching infiltrating my life, my church. Watch constantly. I do, uh, individually and corporately. Right? Watch yourselves. Why should I do this? What's the motivation so that you don't lose reward? Reward, reward. Uh, he talks about full reward. He's talking about when uh, Jesus comes back and he judges his church at the rapture of the church before the tribulation begins. He judges Christians, not for heaven or hell, but for how well did you follow after me? He doesn't judge the, the uh, quantity of what you've done, but the quality of what you've done. He judges your motivations. 
Uh, and so we read about this in 1 Corinthians 3, where he talks about the judgment seat of Christ for Christians. And he says there, each man, speaking to a, a Christian, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire uh, and the fire itself will test the what? Quality. Quality of each man's work. Uh, he has more to say. If each man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a what? A reward from who? Jesus. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. Translated, he can't lose his salvation. That's secure, but he can definitely lose reward. John says, if you need to watch yourself constantly, because he said, even if you follow Jesus 30, 40, 50 years, you get to the end of your life and you buy into false teaching, false, false doctrine, you can lose reward when you stand before Jesus. Who wants to stand before Christ and have him tell you, what were you thinking? You lived well for 40 years and you threw it all to the wind at the very end there. What were you thinking? He says, you need to pay attention so that when Jesus returns, he gives you all the reward promised to you. Some Christians will forfeit their reward. Did you know this? Not forfeiting heaven, forfeit the reward. This is a whole nother study even and of itself, the concept of rewards in the New Testament. Because uh, all throughout the New Testament, either Jesus talks about reward, uh, uh, or you find Paul talking about reward, he's going to reward you for service rendered. And even when the king shows up and he establishes his kingdom uh, in Jerusalem, uh, he tells you uh, in Luke 19, uh, the parable of the, of, the, of the cities, that when he come back, comes back and evaluates the, the quality of your work, some will be greatly blessed because they invested it well. Some will not be greatly blessed. They'll be verbally reprimanded by Christ. But he's going to talk to each of us. Don't you want to hear from him? Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. It was in that passage in Matthew 25, it's just giving somebody a cup of cold water. It's just simple things of, of serving people. He says, uh, don't, he says, watch out for deceivers so that when Christ judges you, you will receive the full reward. In verse 9, he then adds this statement. Anyone who goes too far, speaking to who? Christians or non-Christians? Christians. Anyone, any Christian who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And the one who abides in his teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Hmm. So does that, does that mean that if I get messed up in, in a false worldview, false teaching, does that mean that I'm not a Christian and I lost my salvation? No. Well, because you can't lose your salvation. Well, how do I know that? Well, I give you a whole bunch of reasons why. Uh, one major reason why you can't lose your salvation is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When you trusted Christ, he sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say he unseals you. And I know he doesn't unseal you because you, he uses the same terminology in Ephesians 4, 25 to 30, where he lists a whole category of sins they're committing. And then he says in verse 30, stop grieving the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed till the day of redemption. Because if he could unseal you, he'd leave. But he can't leave. So John is talking to Christians here. He's not telling them you're going to lose your salvation. He's been talking in 1 John and now in 2 John about intimacy with Jesus. If you aren't following closely to the teaching, you're not going to be able to abide by the teachings of Christ and have that intimacy with Jesus. So nowhere in the New Testament does the phrase does not have God, nowhere, even in John's writing, is that ever used in reference to salvation? Nowhere. Because he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ and your performance. If you stray, well, then you don't have God in that intimate sense. That's what he's talking about. I don't know about you, but I, I want God in an intimate sense. How do I do that? I read the word of God and I attempt to apply it to my life to live like a mature Christian. 
What else should you do as far as maintaining your spiritual walk? Uh, how do you protect yourself from deceivers? One, uh, hang out with good Christian people. Uh, pray for the Spirit to keep watch over you. Study the Word of God with mature believers. Uh, read and study the Word of God on your own. The Spirit of God will teach you. Confess your sin, a supple heart, that's supple before God, broken before God, is very hard for the devil to get into. Uh, confess your sin. Always ask a lot of questions in any setting to make sure that you're being guided toward truth. And according to 2 Timothy 10.5, bring all of your thoughts captive to Christ. Whether you're a college student, high school student, a mom, a dad, God, this is what I've heard. This is what my culture's teaching. This is what the professor's teaching. But Lord, what do you say? Guard your mind. Lastly, he says uh, to guard the perimeter of your, your church and your life, mind, be mindful. This is really interesting, of hospitality. It's kind of weird. He talks about this. Notice what he says. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, how are you supposed to treat them? Do not receive them into your house. Translated, don't have them for dinner. <laughs> and don't give them a greeting. Go, don't tell the false teacher, hey, praise God for you. Hallelujah. Have a great day. Fantastic. He says, don't even give them a greeting. For Why? Well, uh, well, the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. If you take a person who's an outright false teacher and invite him over for dinner, think of yourself, they are Poana. You listening to me? If I allow Poana in my turf and don't do anything about it, it germinates and affects all my line. If I allow a false teacher into my family, well, I'm a new Christian, but I'm allowing the Jehovah Witnesses to come over and do a Bible study with me. I had Christians do this. Not smart. If you're not older in the faith and don't understand what you're dealing with, I would not advise doing that. Don't, don't allow them into your house. And don't give them a greeting. I mean, I was... Uh, uh, the Mormon church sent two of their trainers of all their missionaries to my last church to talk to me. And we had a really interesting conversation. Uh, and when they left, we got out in the parking lot, and the one who was a fifth-generation Mormon told me, I've learned more about my faith than I ever knew today. The other guy told me, no matter what you tell me, I will always believe Mormon doctrine over what you're saying is biblical doctrine. And then that guy asked me if he could pray for me. What do you think I told him? No, he was shocked. He was shocked. I said, I, I don't need you to pray for me. I'm fine. I'm going to pray for you because you need Christ in your life. See, I mean, sometimes I think Christians were too nice. Not that we're supposed to be nice. But we're not, there's that point we've lost the, the, the stern part of Christianity. There's truth and there's falsity. Translates to this one simple question. Is there anybody in your life they shouldn't be in your house? You hear me? Is there anybody that you've allowed in your life you should not be entertaining them? When you walk out the door today, it should be the commitment, Lord, I am not spending any more time with that person because they are exactly what John said we shouldn't be spending time with. They're polluting your mind and your heart. Get better friends. Get better people in your life. Guard your church. It's all of our responsibility. Let's pray. God, thank you. Just for John, even in his 90s, writing truth all the way to the end uh, and, and living it. What a great man of God. Might we continue to be great saints who love you, love each other, and love truth. And for those who don't know you, might our witness guide them to Christ. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon in your yard. Thanks so much for joining us this Sunday. Um, we just loved Pastor Marty's message on discerning truth and falsity and 
learning what it means to really love other believers as ourselves and to practice hospitality in the right way. I'm so glad that you could join us this morning. Um, please join us next week. Um, if this is your first time, we're so glad you're here. You can get further connected at BCC at burntcommunity.com slash connect. Have a great Sunday.